Mike Dempsey here for Underdog Fantasy, where you just draft your team and Underdog handles the rest. And you can win big cash prizes. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the Underdog Fantasy app and sign up with code 1010XL. That's Underdog Fantasy. Use code 1010XL. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you as we begin together to try to pick up the pieces of what was the biggest collapse, certainly the biggest late season collapse in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You could argue the biggest collapse in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars as astonishment is the only word I can come up with. Bewilderment. The fact that 43 days ago, the Jaguars were 8-3, and three, sitting two and a half games up in the AFC South. And now here we are, lockers cleaned out, defensive coordinator and defensive staff fired, and the season is over. It is astonishing. So we got a lot to get into. Monday night coaching with Campo, my man Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. He will join us coming up in less than 20 minutes. Also, John Shipley of Jaguar Report, powered by Sports Illustrated. We'll get John Shipley and Dave Campo up here in hour number one to try to answer the biggest question of the night. And it'll be the biggest question of the week. And I'm going to get a lot of guys on, a lot of people that cover the Jaguars, uh, both locally, regionally, and nationally. And I just want to ask them one simple question. It's the same question I'm going to ask you. We don't open up phone lines very often, but if you want to call in tonight, I think tonight's the night to do it. What happened? What on earth happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars. How did we get here? And we'll get some phone calls lined up in one moment, 641-1010. But as we do every night on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Again, the question of the evening, what happened? How? Why? Who? All good questions. Jacksonville, eight and three. Jacksonville, number one seed in the AFC for a few hours, 43 days ago. And now, just like that, poof. The season's over. Trevor Lawrence, there's some blame there. The defense, absolutely some blame. The offensive line, good grief, is their blame there. Press Taylor, yep. Mike Caldwell, obviously, he's been fired tonight, if you missed that. 
The Jaguars have blown out their defensive staff, including Caldwell, the defensive coordinator. More on that in a moment. Trent Baalke? Yep. There is blame everywhere. And I don't know if there's a good answer as to what happened. I've been thinking about it all day. And I had two hours last night on the fifth quarter with Leon Searcy and Dave Campo to try to figure out what happened. Maybe you can help me. Because it wasn't as if Jacksonville was playing poorly. I mean, think of the teams they beat. They beat a playoff team on the road in Houston. They beat another playoff team on the road in Pittsburgh. They beat another playoff team in London in the Buffalo Bills. Of the seven playoff teams in the AFC, Jacksonville beat three of them. Jacksonville also played Kansas City to within a touchdown. And then Monday night against Cincinnati, the first Monday in December, and that's the only thing that I could think of. That was a franchise-altering game, it seems. What happened? You wait a decade plus for Monday night football, and you lose Christian Kirk on the first play of the game, and Trevor gets hurt, and the whole golf cart thing happened. And then C.J. Beathard to Ridley in overtime, but called back from a holding penalty. And then Cincinnati rips your heart out at the very end of overtime, and it's as if the Jaguars never got off the mat after that game. They never recovered. I don't know why one game to drop you to 8-4 and four would completely obliterate your season and cost people their jobs, but after that game, think about it. They were awful against Cleveland. Baltimore, they couldn't do anything right. Tampa Bay was rock bottom. They beat Carolina because Wolfson High School could beat Carolina. Or Baldwin, I guess, Denmark. You guys could beat Carolina, too. And then Tennessee lost 26-3 to Houston eight days ago. There were 11 games this year. Think about this for a second. 11 games in which the Tennessee Titans scored one offensive touchdown or less. I'll say it again, 11 times. 11 times they scored under 20 points. And they went through you like a hot knife through butter yesterday. Derrick Henry looked like he was 25 years old. Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill did that to you. Astonishing. Again, it's the only word I can come up with. Astonishing. I, You guys have listened to me, some of you, for 21 years. You know that I'm very rarely speechless. It's not good to be speechless in the line of work I'm in. I was speechless after that game yesterday. I sat there just in my man cave at home in Mandarin, just staring in the... T- direction of the TV. I wasn't really watching it for about 20 minutes. Not saying a word. I I could not believe it. I could not believe that this once promising season, this season in which we thought we could compete with the big boys, this season in which we were the number one seed for a few hours in late November, just ended in the blink of an eye. 
You lose five out of six, and you weren't really competitive in some of those games. The biggest collapse in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now what's left for us to do? Find answers. Pick up the pieces. And that's what we're going to attempt to do over the next couple of weeks here on Hacker After Dark. Again, if you just joined us, Mike Caldwell and a majority of the defensive staff have been fired tonight by Jaguar head coach Doug Peterson. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's open them up here on Hacker After Dark. Let's let you vent. Let's go to Orange Park. Let's get Kevin in here on 1010XL. Kevin, what do you got? What's up, Hacker, man? Um, Man, longtime fan from day one, big-time homer. You know, I get talked about a lot for standing up for my guys all the time, but I, I've had enough, man. Um, All you guys complain about Pro Bowl snubs, none of you deserve it. Not one. Not one Jack should be a Pro Bowl. Trevor, the golden boy, I've stood up for him forever. Now his dad wants to like that post saying Trevor needs to go in and demand things or he can walk. What has he done to demand anything? He hasn't done enough to demand a massage like Deshaun Watson. It's ridiculous. He can walk, too. He's not Duval. We can, we can be bad without him. Burn this whole thing down. I'll listen. Kevin, appreciate it. Again, I'm not technology savvy, Denmark. I'm not a youngster like you that knows the ins and outs of social media. But it was pointed out to me that apparently Trevor Lawrence's dad or who is believed to be his dad, did indeed like a social media post about, you know, demanding things change here or something along those lines. I don't want to speak out of turn. Have you heard anything about I know a lot of people have been talking about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are there are issues there, certainly. And if you're in Trevor's camp, I mean, look, you were drafted into a horrible situation with Urban Meyer. You're brought in here. The offense is bad. Whether you want to call play calling an issue, the offensive line an issue, I'll listen to all of it. The offense was bad. Now, I've been critical of Trevor, and you guys have given me grief over that. Jaguar Hall of Famers have given me grief over that, and that's fine. I understand Trevor's the golden boy, and I'm happy he's here. I believe he is going to be a franchise quarterback, but... If he comes, or his agent, his management team comes into the offices of the Jaguars this offseason, and they want to talk Joe Burrow money, right now I'm going to laugh him out of the room. Are you kidding me? Based on the way this season ended? Here's another thought, too. Look at the AFC moving forward. And again, we'll do more of this as the offseason goes on. Lamar, Mahomes, Allen, Stroud, Tua. Herbert. How many of those are you taking over Trevor Lawrence right now? Probably a majority of them. There's questions everywhere on this team. Trevor's not one of the main issues, but his turnovers were. He has got to clean up those turnovers. Let's go to the west side. Let's get Tiffany in here on Hacker After Dark. Tiffany, go ahead. Hey there, Hacker. This is Tiffany here on the west side. Um, as a fan and as a big fan of the Jays who I grew up on, it's just very disappointing to see, of course, that we collapsed at this point in time in the game. Um, they definitely got out there yesterday and they played with no heart. But I definitely think it started, I would say, their heart was probably ripped out at the San Francisco game. They kind of recovered. And then when they got to Cincinnati, and then it was just downhill from there. 
Um, I don't know necessarily like who needs to make a play call or a call when Trevor is hurt. I don't think he was good even after that game. And I just think they just kept forcing things that they were trying to like, oh, he's going to pull through. We don't need a hero quarterback. We need a quarterback and a team to do their job as a whole. So as a fan, I'm very disappointed that, you know, we got to this point and can't even finish. Hey, Tiffany, thank you for the phone call. Denmark, you and I talked about it in the preseason. I'm not breaking any news here. This isn't some magical, you know, football knowledge, you know, fact from from Hacker. It's common freaking knowledge. You can have the greatest skill positions on planet Earth. You can have the greatest quarterback, wide receiver, and running back imaginable. If you don't have an offensive line, none of it matters. And the Jaguars didn't have an offensive line. I'm okay with Cam Robinson. I'm okay with Anton Harrison. The middle three? You got to do something there. Something's got to be done, ladies and gentlemen, because Trevor Lawrence was running for his life a lot this year. Trevor did have a lot of injuries this year. That offensive line could not run the ball to save their life this year. I'm surprised Travis Etienne wasn't more vocal about that at times. That is one of the main issues. Again, Christian Kirk's injury was a big deal. Zay Jones missing time. All big deals. But to me, the biggest deal above and beyond anything on the offense, not even so much as the play calling, is the just bad offensive line. I'll tell you this. Remember way back in training camp, the offensive line had those shirts made up? 31st in the league. I think like PFF or somebody had them there. And they were trying to use it as motivation. Well, they were given the uh, benefit of the doubt. They weren't 31st in the league. They should have been 32nd in the league. That offensive line interiorly was awful this year. Let's go to the south side. Let's get David in here on 1010XL. David, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, Heck? Doing well, um, buddy. That's good, man. Um, listen, I mean, I honestly, to me, I was, I've was i been looking at the stats and everything about when you said and what everyone says, what happened. It wasn't just about, I mean, to me, it was about the balanced game. When we played horrible and uh, when Trevor had his um, turnovers, it was because it was the typical type things. He had to be throwing 50 and 60 times games, and he was always turning it over. And that was clear towards the end when he was playing injured. He shouldn't have been playing injured. ETN, you know, we, if he averaged only about 3.8 yards a game, Tank Bigby, our backup, who was our second round guy, didn't do jack squats during the year as well. So when we don't have a rushing game, we don't have a balanced game, and you, you're forcing any quarterback to be throwing 50, 60 times a year, um, you're going to have those turnovers and you can't have that. Um, we don't have, uh, and, and when you have the, we don't have a strong enough line to continuously block the guy, you know, it's going to show that way. And the defense, of course, unfortunately fell apart. I mean, there's a lot of things that just, everything went wrong at the wrong times. You're going, it, it is a head scratcher. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's Trevor. I mean, obviously coaching should have just said, yeah, you're hurt. You don't need to play, be playing all these times. That was on them. That was. Hey, David, appreciate the phone call, man. Yeah, that's another one, too. Should Trevor have been playing? Or should it have been C.J. Beathard? Were you, would you have a better shot of winning some of these games down the stretch with Beathard as opposed to Trevor Lawrence? I don't know that. I would tend to doubt that, but... That is a question being raised. I think it's fair. 
Okay, but do you say that if he completes that last ball to Ridley and you got a shot for a two-point conversion to tie the game? Nah, well, well you're, no. You're not, nobody's saying that right now. Everybody's thinking either you know we tie the game and we'll probably go to overtime or we, we, or we don't get it. Yeah, hindsight's always 20-20. Right. If C.J. Beathard doesn't beat Carolina 26 nothing, I'm probably not saying it either, but he did. And they, I mean, Carolina was the worst team that they played, but they beat beat the brakes off of them. A Carolina team that played Tampa pretty tough yesterday. In fact, Carolina, that defense yesterday did not let Tampa score. Tampa got three field goals on them. So, C.J. Beathard moved the ball on a decent Carolina defense. Of course, if that doesn't happen, I'm probably not bringing it up. If Trevor completes it to Ridley, Mike Caldwell is probably still employed right now. What ifs are a way of life in the world of sports. But the reality of the situation is Trevor Lawrence was not very good in the last five games he played. 0-5. The one game they won, Trevor was not out there. They were 0-5. Trevor's last win came in Houston when that field goal bounced off the crossbar to get to 8-3. He did not win another game. Was it his fault? No. Not entirely. But the turnovers, and Doug Peterson said it today. We'll play the comments later. You listen to that Doug Peterson press conference, it's clear, man. He is over the turnovers. No matter whose fault it is, the turnovers that this team had, ridiculous. What's the stat? Trevor had 21 touchdowns and 21 turnovers. If you combine interceptions and fumbles. I don't know, but he's had 60 turnovers since he's gotten in the league, and he's lost 21 fumbles. The guy that seconds Jared Goff with 14. I mean, that's... And that's a guy that doesn't run. That's a lot. That needs to change. That needs to change. Let's squeeze in a couple of more. Again, Dave Campo, Monday Night Coaching with Campo, coming up in just a little bit. Let's go back to the south side. Let's get Keith in here on 1010XL, Hacker After Dark. Keith, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Hacker? Uh, we're just going to get right to it. Uh, the changes that need to be made, uh, it needs to go right from the top. And it's sad to say that with Sean Khan uh, making these major changes, he – History tells us that he would not. We need to get rid of uh, Trent Bulky. He buys the groceries, man. Uh, he was very passive in um, uh, in free agency, man. And uh, we just can't. We can't have it. You know what I'm saying? But if we don't make that change, uh, we got big problems. You got two more years to find out. You know what I'm saying? If Trevor Lawrence, you know what I'm saying, is your franchise quarterback? If we don't find that out, we we are going to be rebuilding. Uh, in three more years, man. And we just can't have that, man. Um, uh, Doug Peterson, uh, Trevor shouldn't have been playing. Bottom line, he was injured. Uh, we would have had a better chance uh, with C.J. Beathard. But I'm going to tell you this. After that San Fran game, uh, we were not who we thought we are. And uh, this uh, roster, uh, there's a lot, this major uh, rebuilding. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it, you know what I'm saying, even in the offseason, man. I'll take this off the air. Hey, Keith, thank you. To the Trent Balky point that Keith brought up, I've defended Trent Balky to an extent. And again, I'm not going to throw stones in a glass house. Two years ago, I wanted him fired. I wanted a clean sweep. I wanted a do-over. I did not dress up as a clown like some of you did, but I wanted him gone. But I do think... Obviously, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Foye Aluikin, Zay Jones. He's done some nice things in free agency. There's no debating that. He has done some really nice things. Last year is indefensible. You did not do anything 
You went nine and eight in the regular season. After your playoffs, you went ten and nine. And he basically threw up his hands, it appears, and said, We're good. Let's run it back. Let's re-sign Jermichael Hasty and CJ Bethard and Dewey Winger. And we're just gonna re-sign everybody. We're gonna add free agents towards the end of free agency. And I guess they did, right? Dearness Johnson, all due respect to him. Brandon McManus in the month of May after Denver cut him out of nowhere. Point is, they did nothing in free agency. Nothing. And my defense of Trent Baalke stops with one thing. One thing. I get paid to talk on 1010XL every night. I am never going to be confused for an NFL general manager, a scout. I'm never going to be confused for a talent evaluator that deserves to work in the NFL. I think I know a little something, but I know my limitations. I'm much more comfortable with a microphone in front of my mouth in the evenings, talking to you, the good men and women of Jacksonville. Every night, last offseason, April, May, June, July, August, every night, they need help at pass rush. They don't have enough. And every press conference, we think our young guys are going to develop. We like our in-house guys. And we sat here and saw Leonard Floyd go to Buffalo. And we sat here and saw Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Oy go to Baltimore. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And every time we asked, nope, our young guys are going to develop. If I could see that we needed help getting to the opposing quarterback, if Denmark could see it, if you, the 1010XL listeners, could see it, then why couldn't our general manager making millions of dollars see it? Because he didn't want to admit that he was wrong with Kayvon Chase on. Well, there's two issues there. Number one, he didn't want to admit failure with Trayvon Walker. And I don't – he didn't draft Chase on. That was at the very end of, um, of Caldwell, I believe. But he's always talking up Chase on because he was under contract. Trayvon Walker is probably why he didn't want to bring somebody in because that would have looked like a bad number one pick. To Trayvon Walker's credit, however – He got to 10 sacks and looks pretty good. The other might be as simple as arrogance. We know more than you. We're the smartest people in the room. I I like Chad Muma. That's another one. I like Chad Muma. I've talked to Chad. This is not an anti-Chad Muma sentiment. Trent Baalke drafted Chad Muma in the third round, the 70th pick in the draft in 2022. In the third round, after already drafting Devin Lloyd, would you know Chad Muma was on the roster yesterday? That's a third-round pick that you just wasted. You spent a first-rounder and a third-rounder on linebackers that play the same position? Chad Muma's not going to get on the field when Devin Lloyd's healthy. Why do you draft him? Muma's a good player. Again, this is not against Chad Muma. Somebody's going to text Muma, but they're talking about you. No, I'm not. This is not negating Chad Muma. This is about Trent Baalke. Why would you do that? Brenton Strange, I know he battled injuries, but all he did this year was hold people. I think he caught one touchdown. He committed like five holding penalties. Tank Bigsby wasn't even used on the ground yesterday. I think he had one or two carries. He was used as the kickoff return man. Baalke has botched second and third round picks in back-to-back drafts. 
So my defense for Trent Baalke is wavering, man. I get why people are upset with him. It is indefensible to not have done more with this roster after last year. And it's hard for me to comprehend if I knew they needed help at pass rush, how they couldn't do anything the entire offseason. They had a calendar year, and they're darn lucky that Allen and Walker emerged because they have nothing behind them. Yasir Abdullah was a healthy scratch half the games. Tyler Lacey, I like him, but what did he do? He's a fourth-round pick. Hard to defend some of that stuff, man. It really is. Let's squeeze in one or two more before we get to Dave Campo. He's coming up in less than 10 minutes. Let's go back to the west side. Let's get Tim on here on Hacker After Dark. Tim, what's going on? Hey, Hacker. Good, good afternoon to Good evening, I should say. Um, last week, my friend who ha- – I went last year to Nashville. He calls me. He says, hey, I got you an extra ticket. I Yeah, that's fine. I get my plane ticket. I go over there and – you know, I'm listening to you talk about the general manager, and, and here's what I will bring this to you from a different perspective. I choose to like the Jaguars. I choose to pay money to go see them. And I'm not saying this to make to make people people feel sorry for me, but on the other hand, the first the first time when they went on the field yesterday, the first uh, down, you can see that the Tennessee Titans were ready to play and the Jaguars was not. So here's here's ten thousand fans, however many of us were, ready to support our team. But we get there and we watch, and they're not even there to play football. And what is it about about back to back and the whole week we listen to and all the players? I think some something needs to change because I, as a fan, want to support this team and I want to go back to play, watch them play. But I don't want to go back always and see the same, you know, it's always the same routine, same thing, same thing. It, it's, it's beginning to get like, uh, you know, you know, the good old story. So I, I guess I guess I'm a little frustrated. I, I want something to happen, but who, who knows, you know? Tim, thank you for the phone call. Thank you for supporting the team. And I'll tell you this, there was a lot of Jaguar fans up at Nissan Stadium yesterday. You guys were ready. You guys were ready to... Welcome in an AFC South championship. But no, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and the 5-11 and Titans beat you up and down the field. Ridiculous. And you, you should be frustrated as a Jaguar fan. You should be angry. I was angry yesterday, and I'm in the media. Again, I just sat in my man cave getting ready for the fifth quarter just staring at the TV. I was shell-shocked. I was dumbfounded how this thing blew up in 43 days. We could take calls all night. Let me get one more in. We might open them up again in the 9 o'clock hour. If you're if we did not get to you, we apologize. Dave Campo is coming up. Let's go to my man Junior in Buffalo to close us out here for the phone calls right now. Junior, how we doing? Not so good. Not so good after the Bills end up winning the AFC East last night. Not so good. It's not too very friendly living in Buffalo. I'd rather be living in Jacksonville, at least being with other fans and not have to deal with what I'm dealing with. But you said it, most of it tonight. This team fell apart. And it had to deal a lot more with the coaching and the front office. But at least they're doing something because uh, – 
Peterson and 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 Philadelphia for the years he was there, he was hanging on to it. That's what they his his knack was. He was hanging on to some of these coaches that were fall, faltering for him, and that's what lost his job in Philadelphia. At least this time, he got rid of this of the defensive staff because they couldn't tackle for nothing. Man, that that was pitiful out there yesterday. Every time the Jaguars had a, made a play, there was somebody from Tennessee, bam, already tackled, and we were letting their, the guys were just running all over the defense. That's pitiful, and that happened right at the Cincinnati game. I noticed that at the Cincinnati game. I watched a tape of Cincinnati playing tennis, uh, Houston, and they couldn't run the ball on Houston. And also I figured, hey, we got an opportunity to stop their running game. And Cincinnati run on off on us, and so did Cleveland. And that, and that was the faltering. No one figured out what they could change and get this running game, stop that running game. And that's what led to a lot of the faltering of this, of this team. But at least they're doing something now, and I agree. I don't want another Gene Smith with the Trent Bulky. We went through a lot of years with Gene Smith being a um, being a GM and, and making bad picks out of bad picks and losing first round picks for after first round picks. So if we got to get rid of Bulky, then we got to get rid of Bulky. Get somebody that can work with Peterson because the friction. I think there's friction there, and they don't, we don't need friction with the general manager and the head coach. Let's 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 get rid of one of them. Thanks. Hey Junior, appreciate the phone call. I think Trent Baalke's going to remain. And again, I, I don't think Trent Baalke's done a failure of a job. I think I'll give him like a C plus C in three years. You can't deny what he's done in free agency, but his drafts have left an awful lot to be desired. And the one thing I'll say about yesterday and in, in closing here before we get to Dave Campo, well, it's really twofold. Number one, the third down play where the Titans completed the slant and they were stopped three yards shy of the first and the entire Tennessee offensive line pushed their guy across the line in the Jaguar defense. Go back and watch the play. I won't single any guys out. If you have it on your DVR at home, go back and watch that play. And you tell me what some of those Jaguar defensive guys were doing. This is a must win. Must win to go to the playoffs. Key third down, fourth quarter. Tennessee, nothing to play for. You, everything to play for. Go watch that play, and you tell me your thoughts on the Jaguar defense. And I thought Andrew Wingard, it was really interesting yesterday in the postgame locker room, it was Mia O'Brien that asked him the question up in Nashville, and he was talking about how there wasn't a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. What does that mean? Were guys freelancing? Were guys doing whatever they wanted to do? Certainly looked like that on a couple of those Derrick Henry runs. You hear the word gap integrity? Stay in your lane? That must have not applied to the Jaguar defense yesterday because they didn't do that. Derrick Henry had a couple of holes yesterday that I could have ran through, which is saying something, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that was therapeutic. We'll do that about, oh, I don't know, another four or five months. Getting ready for OTAs. And then by that time, maybe we'll get over the biggest collapse in the history of the Jaguar franchise. My man Dave Campo, Monday Night Coaching with Campo, coming up. Denmark, last year's national title game was 62-7. I don't think we're going to get that, but Michigan's up 14-3, and they're driving again. Michigan, they might put Washington away here pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, Washington's going to score, but, I mean, Michigan, I, you knew they were going to control the line of scrimmage, but this is, I mean, Michigan's just doing whatever they want on offense right now. To say that we're late would be an understatement. 
Dave Campo, Monday Night Coaching with Campo, next. Appreciate all the phone calls. Appreciate the passion. Hacker After Dark on a Monday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Monday Night Coaching with Campo, Dave Campo, 30 seconds away. But because it's awful on a Monday here in Jacksonville, because we just had the biggest collapse in franchise history. People are getting excited about the playoffs, and we're not because lockers are cleaned out and the team's gone and the defensive staff has been fired tonight. We need to give back to you, the sports fan here in Jacksonville, and not just the sports fan, the AEW fan. Dynamite returns to Daly's place Wednesday night. If you want to go, AEW. To see Sting and Darby Allen and John Moxley and all the folks at AEW, simply be caller four right now at 641-1010. And Denmark will hook you up with a pair of tickets to Dynamite, Daly's Place, All Elite Wrestling, coming up this Wednesday here in Jacksonville. Dave Campo, now a little Monday night coaching with Campo. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season is over, amazingly enough. From 8-3 and three to the lockers being cleaned out today, the Jaguars lose five of their last six games to miss the playoffs. And now it's all about picking up the pieces and figuring out where we go from here. With that, we welcome in my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how we doing? Well, uh, um, I actually was uh, kind of excited to get up this morning because I thought the sun would shine and it would <laughs> we'd keep going. But unfortunately, it never came up. It's cloudy out there. So I'm still in the same mode as I was last night after the ball game. Coach, you spent decades in the NFL, head coach, coordinator, uh, position coach. You can speak on this better than anybody I know. How did this happen? How did the last six weeks happen? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, uh, it, it, first of all, for some reason, and, and obviously we don't know what's going on over there, but, uh, you know, you, you have to look at yourself as players and coaches because – I really don't think for the last five weeks that the focus was there. Uh, I think we got a little bit of false hope playing Carolina because, you know, they're obviously uh, an awful football team, which we mentioned many times on the show. Uh, but, you know, when it came down to really playing for something, this team uh, came up with way, way too many mistakes. And really, to be honest with you, uh, when you look back on those games, the defense did not perform very well in any of the games that we lost down the stretch. Coach, there's a lot to dissect here, and we'll try to do that over the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to throw some of them at you tonight. Was it arrogance by the organization to not do anything last offseason? I mean, if you look, they basically did nothing in free agency. Uh, they, I mean, Calvin Ridley was added at the trade deadline last year. They knew they were going to have him. Uh, Brandon McManus was cut from Denver in May. That's the only reason they got him. I mean, they did nothing. It's almost as if they said after 9-8 and eight and a playoff win, we're good. We're going to run it back. And, and they really did not do a lot to upgrade this roster. 
Well, you know, again, I think this uh, staff really, uh, I think that, that this coaching staff could develop guys and that they, when they studied their people, you know, they made a decision that the team was just starting to come on at the end. Uh, and they felt that that was going to be good enough in a lot of areas. And and the one area everyone was clamoring about was the pass rush. Uh, back at the draft, you know, when they were making a decision on whether or not to sign, uh, to draft an offensive tackle, which Cam forced them to do with the, with the suspension, prior to that, I was kind of clamoring for an inside pass rusher because I felt that Walker was going to come on. I thought that Josh Allen in the contract year was good enough to, to those two guys would be fine. And really the two outside guys were fine. So they did develop those two guys, but they had no inside pass rush all year. And, and so I think, you know, they, there was some false sense that we were a better football team than we were. And that's the general manager and the head coach that makes that decision. Dave Campo here with us, Monday Night Coaching with Campo on Hacker After Dark. All right, Coach, let's go to the staff now. Uh, Trenton Balky. obviously there's questions about him this morning. Uh, look, you're going to blame the guy. You're going to blame everybody at this point. But the thing about Balky, I'll say, is this. He did nothing in free agency last year. And his last couple of drafts, Coach, I mean, let's be honest, they've left an awful lot to be desired. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think that uh, we've uh, hit on some guys, uh, and 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 I really think that uh, what they did in the draft th- this particular year was they looked at areas that they felt were weaknesses because they they felt that they had strengths in other places. They looked at short yardage and they said, okay, well, we need a a bigger, stronger back, so they take Bigsby. They had no chance with uh, to do anything other than take the offensive tackle, which I think was a good pick with the first round. I think he's going to be a very good right tackle, might even be a left tackle going forward. And then you look at, uh, you know, what they do next. They had their eye on a couple tight ends. They weren't there. They go with Strange. Strange gets hurt. Strange made some really uh, questionable plays with holding and, and some things during the course of the year. So in my mind, they were taking guys for, in their mind, need as opposed to taking the most valuable guy on the board, and I think that's a mistake. You know, you talk about the defense, and you're a defensive guy. Let's go there next. Uh, Mike Caldwell, there's some question about him today after that fiasco yesterday. And I thought Dewey Wingard, and say what you will about Dewey Wingard, but he's going to speak his mind uh, to the media, which is why we love him, quite frankly had some comments in the post-game locker room yesterday about, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was essentially there wasn't a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. And, Coach, the way I interpreted that, and you tell me what you think, is that guys might have been out there doing things they weren't supposed to be doing that wasn't in the game plan. Well, you know, I'm very, uh, very uh, make sure about not over – coaching as a media guy okay but when you look at what you know offensively you know we've done some really poor things along the way and everybody's on the play calling but when you look at the stretch after the eight and three uh you have to be a little concerned with the defense i mean they have not played well during that stretch 
So, you know, if you really uh, look at it, they've got to take a look at the defense staff and what they've done this year. But it also comes down to guys not making tackles, guys being out of gap control. And that's what uh, Wingard was talking about. He really wasn't talking about anything on offense. He was talking about the fact that that we were, uh, you know, poor. I know when you see long runs like you saw uh, yesterday, uh, guys are out of their gaps for whatever reason. Now, you have to give a little bit of credit to, to Tennessee because when I just rewatched, I got about the third quarter and their guys blocked our interior guys almost the whole ball game and got to the second level. So they made it very difficult on us. But, you know, we don't have a lot on defense yesterday. We didn't, we didn't blitz hardly at all. And when we did blitz, uh, Tannehill made it and Hopkins made a couple of great catches and good throws. You know, there's a video making its way around online of a Derrick Henry run yesterday where Caleb on chase on might as well have been me because the offensive line can blow me off the ball 10 yards to the sideline. And that's exactly what they did to chase on. It was ridiculous. Call it gap integrity. I don't know what the coaching term is. I call it awful play, awful performance, maybe not caring, but some of those runs Derrick Henry made, he had a hole as big as the Atlantic ocean to run through. Well, a lot of it was because, you know, the, the first of all, they ran away from Walker all day. They ran at Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, for the most part, was soft on the edge. And their receivers did a great job, whereas you look at our receivers, they did not block well downfield. Their receivers did. So there were situations where uh, the biggest plays were on cutbacks, and there were a lot of blocks on the perimeter by the outside, you know, the outside receivers and we just missed a bunch of tackles. Chason obviously is not a run defender. I don't think Josh Allen was a very good run defender yesterday, unfortunately. So, you know, when you're soft, that's what's going to happen. And that running back, if you don't hit him with good leverage and good, uh, you know, feet finish, uh, you're going to miss tackles. And that's exactly what we did yesterday. It is Monday night coaching with Campo, my buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's with us here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, offensively, uh, people are coming after Press Taylor. Uh, I'll get to Trevor and Doug in a moment, but speaking about the play calling, not only yesterday, but really the last month and a half of the year, do you think the criticism towards offensive coordinator Press Taylor is warranted? Well, when things don't go well, you know, you're going to get criticized. Uh, that's the nature of the deal, and especially with fans, you know. And, you know, you're going to look at and you're going to say, well, you know, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Uh, you know, some of it is, you know, you look at you look at Tennessee, they run a flea flicker, uh, uh, not the flea flicker, but the reverse, and that was an ugly play. So sometimes you do some things that maybe are not what you would normally think that would happen in that situation. I think there is some criticism warranted in certain situations. I would not be surprised if, if nobody on offense staff goes anywhere this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Doug Peterson didn't take the play calling back as one of the things that he will do to say, okay, uh, you know, maybe we didn't call it exactly the way it needs to be called. So I'm going to take my responsibility and do that. I'm going to keep it PG, Coach, because obviously we're a family-oriented program 
here on Hacker <laughs> After Dark. Um, the offensive line, if I could describe them in one word that I can use on terrestrial radio, I would say horrific. Is that fair? Well, I would say uh, just watching yesterday, for the whole season, I would say we really struggled really from guard to guard. I think that that's the biggest problem. I think the tackles were uh, adequate, uh, if not, you know, better than ad- adequate at times. But uh, if you just look at yesterday, if you compare the interior guys for Tennessee able to get the push, get them guys back into the, into the uh, linebackers and ability to get to the second level as compared to ours, I would say rather than what the term you use, I would say no push. It'd be a two, it would be a two-pronged uh, answer because we are not physical at all at any of the points of attack. A, a running back that gets four or five yards for us is having to work for it. From a pass blocking standpoint, I thought they did a pretty darn good job yesterday. We had plenty of time, but we have not, we don't get people open other than Ingram. And that goes to play calling, right, or scheme or something. Coach, watching yeah. the offense, something's wrong, right? I mean, they had 11 plays yesterday where somebody caught the ball five yards down the field or shorter. That's not today's National Football League. When you got a, quote, generational talent and Trevor Lawrence and you got Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and ETN and all these guys and you're throwing three yard down and outs 11 times I mean what is that well I think a little bit of it is is the decision they make going into the ball game on whether or not uh, they can hold on to the ball with those pass rushes that they had with Landry and and Autry and uh, Key uh, you know, they they kind of made a decision. We need to get the ball out of his hands. We got a hurt quarterback. We can't take a chance on him getting hit very much. Uh, the one play, the Ridley, uh, actually we could have had two, but the pressure got to him on the second one. He overthrew it a little bit, and, and Ridley couldn't come up with it. But the first one, that was just uh, a poor play on their corner's part. You know, Ridley just ran by the guy. We don't – when you look at the overall scheme of things – we're not getting guys open into the middle. You know, that's what Kirk did. Uh, Zay Jones was an outside guy. Uh, Ridley's an outside guy. Those guys are not, don't do well underneath, uh, excuse me, in the middle. And Ingram's the only guy that does anything in the middle. And those are all short routes. He's not a vertical receiver. So, you know, we, we have our hands full there. When we lost Kirk, uh, you know, you hate to say one guy was so important, but he was tremendously important because he was the deep cross guy. He was the guy down the middle. Uh, they lost an awful lot with him, and and they weren't able to, uh, you know, get somebody to, to replace him. Final moments here with Dave Campo. Coach, what about the quarterback? Obviously, uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you'd have to call it a regression, right, from last year to this year uh, that he was bad at times. I mean, look, I, I still think he's the guy. I'm happy he's here, but I told you last night on the fifth quarter, if Trevor's agent, his reps come marching into my office this offseason, and I'm the Jaguars, and they want Joe Burrow-type money, I'm going to laugh at him right now. I mean, I think there are questions there. Well, I think you have to be careful with money, absolutely, and I'm not good with money, okay? So I'm not sure what they're going to do.
But really, uh, if you look at a body of work for this year, when he got hurt the first time and stopped practicing, that's when things went downhill. And I think he, you know, I, I, I don't want to make an excuse for him because I think there's things that he really needs to work on and get cleaned up. But at the same time, you know, if you don't practice, you don't play well. And uh, that combination with him and some receivers that I don't think are, are, are great. Look, just look at the receiver core from the other teams. Every time you watch a game on TV or you watch a game that plays against us, a guy like Hopkins is on some team that makes one-handed catches. We don't do that. So everything has to be perfect. And, you know, when you're not running the football effectively, that puts everything on our quarterback. And, you know, this guy is still a young player. So I, I'm not sure that you invest a, t a ton of money this year, but I'm not sure that an agent would be in good faith and ask for a lot of money this year. Doug Peterson, I still think, is the correct man for the job, although there's certainly a different feeling even about him, Coach, now as opposed to where we were a year ago. Well, I think, you know, any time that you go on a – a one and five streak to end the football season. There's going to be criticism on everybody. Uh, I think Doug Peterson, uh, you know, and again, I, I have to be careful there, uh, Hack, because, you know, I don't know what goes on in a building. I really know how he approaches the team. Uh, you know, he appears to be a guy that's very uh, even, even uh, keeled and 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 has poise and doesn't overreact to things. Uh, I would think that the way we played down the stretch, that he would have to be a little bit tough uh, in, you know, during the course of the of the practice during the week. I don't know if he's doing that. I would say, you know, that demeanor is okay when you've been dysfunctional, but when you are dysfunctional, I think you have to come down a little bit heavy-handed. I'm not sure that's Doug Peterson. Final moments here with Dave Campo. Coach, leave us with this. It's a sad day in the NFL for uh, a lot of coaches, obviously Black Monday, as it's referred to. We know Arthur Smith in Atlanta has been let go. Ron Rivera in Washington has been let go. Some others as well. Uh, you were obviously, unfortunately, a part of that in Dallas, right? I mean, what is today like for the 18 teams that did not make the NFL playoffs? Well, first of all, you know, that's going to happen every year. You know, if you look at it, there's eight, probably eight coaches every year that change. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it happens usually. Obviously, this year it happened during the season. But normally it happens on this day. So it's not a very good day, uh, not only for the head coach, but for a lot of the assistants because you don't know what's going to happen. You you got a family to take care of. Uh uh, you know, but the, the players have to go through the same thing, you know, and you know what you're getting into. I think the biggest thing to me is most of the guys that end up going on this day knew two or three or four games prior to that day that there was a pretty good chance that they weren't going to be there. I knew it was going to happen the third year uh, about after Thanksgiving. And, and I think that that, at least prepares these guys for, you know, I think during the conversation with staff, you've got to say, hey, look, uh, not only are the players playing for jobs now, but we're playing for future jobs now. And, and I think that's part of it. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. 
Coach, I wish we had Jaguar games to discuss, but certainly the NFL playoffs will be a lot of fun. Who knows what happens in Jaguar news over the next seven days. We'll do it again next week in what should be a very good weekend of NFL playoff football. Coach, what game are you uh, looking forward to the most? Well, you know, I'm looking forward to all of them. I mean, I think at this time, this is when the NFL really becomes the NFL. You know, and you're going to see, you know, I felt that this game with our – with us was the NFL and uh, we didn't play very well. So, you know, somebody's going to play good. Somebody's going to play bad. There's going to be only uh, two teams at the end and only one at the very end. So it, I think every game this week's going to be a fun to watch. I'm really kind of zeroed in on Stroud, what he's going to do, because I think this kid is, is proven that he, he might be a guy that can and keep things going. Uh, unfortunately in the AFC South, and I'm going to be zeroed in on the Cowboys because I really think the Cowboys have a shot to go all the way with this team. Yeah, the crazy thing this weekend, Stroud plays Flacco uh, on Saturday. 17 years and change, the difference in age between Joe Flacco at 39 and 22-year-old C.J. Stroud. As you mentioned, Green Bay and Dallas There'll be about a billion people watching that one on Fox on Sunday. Coach, have a terrific week. We'll recap the playoffs next Monday. Absolutely. Have a have a great one, and uh, I'll talk to you at the end of the week. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. 9 o'clock hour has arrived. The college football national championship game. That's right. They're playing for a national title in college football. I'm willing to bet some of you are amazed by that because you didn't know. I know some of my friends did not even know the game was tonight. Nevertheless, Michigan and Washington, three minutes to go in the first half. Michigan was running away with this thing, and they're still comfortably ahead. They're up 17-3. Washington has calmed down a little bit. And in fact, Washington now is driving. They are inside the Michigan 35. We're going to get some points on the board before halftime. But again, Wolverine 17-3 over Washington. The two unbeatens left in the world of college football playing for it all tonight out there in Houston, Texas. Big news of the night for the Jaguars. They have fired defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell and a majority of the defensive staff. They have, I believe, kept two or three assistant defensive coaches, but by and large, it is a complete and total redo defensively. Uh, You look at Doug Peterson's past, some of the defensive minds he's worked with, obviously the main one is Jim Schwartz. They cannot get Jim Schwartz, I don't believe, because he is currently a defensive coordinator and – it would be a lateral move, so you'd have to get permission from the team. So I, I don't know if they're going to go that route. I would tend to doubt it. It is interesting, though, that Wink Martindale, uh, formerly of Baltimore in the last couple of years with the New York Giants, resigned today. And talking to people in New York, that came as a little bit of a surprise. No, I don't know if that's a coincidence. Could mean nothing. Could mean something. But certainly, Wink Martindale is considered to be one of the great defensive minds. 60 years of age, obviously has a lot of experience. Is it simply a coincidence that he resigned in New York and Mike Caldwell was fired a few hours later? I don't know. 
We'll see how it plays out. But there was going to be a fall guy. You knew it, and I knew it. You can't have the biggest collapse in the history of the franchise and not pin it on somebody. Most of you wanted it pinned on Trent Baalke. That's not going to happen. I don't believe. If Shad Khan didn't fire him in the middle of the clown movement, he's not going to fire him now. And by the way, I don't believe Baalke deserves to be fired. I believe he deserves to be criticized, which I think I did a pretty good job of that in hour number one. But I don't believe he deserves to be fired. Some of you wanted Press Taylor as the fall guy. Well, Press Taylor is Doug Peterson's guy. And Doug Peterson, again, kind of defended Press Taylor today at the press conference. So that basically left Mike Caldwell. And Mike Caldwell shown the door today after two years here in Jacksonville. More to do, more on the Jaguars. We'll keep you updated on the national title game. Again, Washington driving, trying to cut in to the 17-3 Michigan lead. Two minutes to go until halftime. John Shipley of Jaguar Report talking Jags and the end of the season coming up in less than 15 minutes. Hacker After Dark on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, we got a game in the national championship game. Houston, Texas. Michigan looked like they were going to run away with this thing. Washington says, not so fast, my friend. All of a sudden, 40 seconds to go until halftime. Michigan 17, Washington 10. As Washington punches it in on fourth and goal from the Michigan two-yard line. So it's a 17-10 ball game. Certainly no 62-7 outcome like we had last year. Again, Michigan and Washington for the national championship in college football. So the Jaguars season is over. Amazing, shocking, whatever verbiage you want to use. I actually, I can't believe this, Denmark. I started my Monday mock series today. It's about time for draft talk. We'll be getting our draft guys lined up here in the coming weeks. I did no research whatsoever and just put a quick one together. I ended up with Jared Verse at number 17. I would gladly take that, by the way. You give me Jared Verse along with Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen, I'm going to be pretty happy. But a couple of things have been decided for the Jaguars. Their 2024 opponents, we know who they're playing next year. And you always know most of who they're playing years in advance. You have to wait till the season before to figure out the final three opponents. Next year at home, your home schedule looks like this. Texans, Colts, Titans. The Patriots and the Jets come here from the AFC East. The Packers and the Vikings come here from the NFC North. And the Cleveland Browns come here. No, not for a playoff game, but next regular season. Away, obviously, Houston, Indy, Tennessee. You go to Soldier Field to take on Chicago. You go to Detroit to play the Lions. This is the point of the program where I will tell you every time the Jaguars are scheduled to go to Detroit, they're the only team that's never played on Thanksgiving. Could we see a Jacksonville-Detroit Thanksgiving game next year? We'll see. Jacksonville also goes to Miami, Las Vegas. Got some Jaguar fans travel out for that one. 
Philadelphia, and Buffalo. Here is the problem with next year's schedule. And the way the NFL is, the Jaguars are going to have this problem every other year. 17 games. Next year, only seven of those games will be played in Everbank Stadium. The Jaguars have nine true road games. And the 10th game, they're going to lose to London. So you're going to have seven home games next year, more than likely two London games, and eight true road games. That's tough. That's tough. But again, the home schedule, Houston, Indy, Tennessee, New England, the Jets, which means probably Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay, Minnesota, Cleveland, your road games, Buffalo, Philly, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Lions, the Bears, and the division. Denmark, which game do they take to London? If you figure they don't take a division game, your options for London, Patriots, Jets, Packers, Vikings and Browns. I'm going to assume the Jaguars will ask the NFL, don't you dare take Green Bay or the Jets out of Jacksonville. So then that leaves Patriots, Vikings, Browns. If I were a betting man, I would say the Patriots or the Vikings are the London game next year. I'm feeling Browns for whatever reason. I think the Jaguars are going to fight to keep that one here too. Just because Cleveland's got a big following, that'll be a moneymaker in Jacksonville. Do you think they would take an in-division game over there? They have in the past, and I don't think Jacksonville likes it. Yeah, I mean, I could see why not. They've taken Indy over there. I don't think Tennessee's ever been there, and I don't think Houston's ever been there. But they did take Indy over there, I think, once. Yeah, I would would really – I would not want Houston to be in in London. That's going to be a great game, or should be. That might be a primetime game. Now – If they do what they did this year, one of the road games will be in London. And you would hope that maybe Philadelphia is the London game, although the Doug Peterson factor might prevent that. But I would bet the Jaguars are going to do the back-to-back London thing, one being a, quote, home game, one being a, quote, away game, much like they did this season. But again, 17 games, only seven in 2024 are scheduled to be played at Everbank Stadium. Halftime, Michigan 17, Washington 10. We got a ball game for the national championship. We will keep you updated. The Jaguars aren't in the NFL playoffs. You know that. There are 14 teams that are, and 12 of those 14 get busy on Saturday. Into Sunday, into Monday with Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll quickly look at the matchups. Also, John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Coming up at the bottom of the hour. Hacker After Dark rolls on on a bleak Monday here in Jacksonville. A Monday in which the Jaguars cleaned out their lockers and the season's over. In the blink of an eye, it's over. We'll talk NFL next. 1010XL and 92.5 FM. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. You know, Denmark, last night I was so disgusted after the fifth quarter with the Jaguars and everything that transpired that I didn't even really enjoy or watch much of Miami Buffalo. It was only good until last like five, ten minutes of the game. Yeah, I love the NFL. I just, I was done. I was mentally done. Jaguars just took it out of me. Didn't have anything left. Was spent. But I'm going to try to recharge the batteries, get her back into neutral for wild card weekend, or I guess as they refer to it now, 
super wild card weekend. Really? Do they call it that? They do. Yeah, super <laughs> wild card weekend. Got six games involving 12 teams. There's a compelling storyline with basically each game. I love I mean, look, it's going to be bittersweet. It's going to suck to watch Cleveland and Houston. I think it's a great game. Cleveland was there a couple of weeks ago. Amari Cooper put 250 on them. Of course, C.J. Stroud did not play in that game. Quarterbacks in that game are 17 years apart in age. 39-year-old Joe Flacco, 22-year-old C.J. Stroud. Then the nightcap on Saturday, which is available on Peacock, Miami and Kansas City. Miami and Philadelphia are, are in the playoffs, but they're just like Jacksonville. They have free fall. Jacksonville just did not have the record they did, so Jacksonville missed it. Miami's lost, what, four out of five. Philly's lost five out of six. Miami, Philly, and Jacksonville all were, at the end of November, on top of the football mountain, and they just plummeted. Philly is way worse than Miami right now. Yeah. Way worse. Well, Miami, my, Philly might actually win this weekend. Miami has no shot. I, I don't think Philly wins this weekend. I mean, I listen to a lot, I've listened to a lot of, uh, like, Seth Joyner and, like, Missinelli up in Philly. They, they said that they've quit on Nick Sirianni. And I don't know if Philly wins or not. I just don't think – I think Philly has a fighting chance just because they're simply playing Tampa. Miami's got no shot. It's going to be zero degrees at Arrowhead. Miami is decimated with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And Kansas City's out to prove something. Um, night game, Tyreek Hill returns. Yikes. I think Kansas City's going to have an easy time of it. So I like Miami – to get blown out by Kansas City. I don't know who I'm taking Cleveland-Houston yet. I have no idea. As far as Philly and Tampa, I don't know. I mean, Tampa's not very good. 9 nothing over Carolina and a must-win. I mean, they survived. They looked awful the week prior against New Orleans. I don't think they're very good, but like Denmark said, Philly's playing awful too. And there's always an upset in wildcard weekend. Always one. Yeah. So if there's one, it's got to be that one. And I don't even know what the line is. I mean, uh, both Cleveland's favored by three, and Philly's favored by two and a half or three. All right. Yeah. I mean, Philly and Tampa to me, I it's not going to matter because whoever wins that game is going to probably get boat raced out in San Francisco next week. Um, that's because I think Dallas beats Green Bay. I would tend to think Detroit. Beats the Rams, although Detroit's got injury problems all of a sudden. And everybody's talking about D'Amico Ryans for coach of the year in Houston. He's probably going to win it. And truthfully, he probably should win it. Stefanski in Cleveland's done a great job amid their quarterback injuries. Sean McVay in Los Angeles. People thought that Rams team was going to suck this year. People thought that Rams team was going to be awful this year. And they're in the playoffs, and you could argue outside of San Francisco and I guess Dallas, the Rams may be the hottest team in the NFC playoff picture. I think the Rams could go into Detroit and win. I think it'll be tough. But Stafford returning to Detroit, that's going to be a huge deal. And then Pittsburgh goes to Buffalo. I'm never going to count a Mike Tomlin team out. The losing T.J. Watt is not good. Buffalo's hot. So I think Buffalo and Kansas City probably have the easiest times of it this week. Dallas probably as well won't be hard. But I think Philly and Tampa, Rams, Lions, and Cleveland, Houston, 
I'm still thinking about, man. Got a couple of days, but I don't think those games are easy to pick, at least right now. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, does a terrific job. That website, of course, is powered by Sports Illustrated. He's one of our guys here on Hacker After Dark. He was at the Doug Peterson press conference earlier today. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk the end of the season. Let's talk the biggest collapse in franchise history. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season is over. After five losses in six games, the Jaguars cleaned out their lockers earlier this week, and now the questions begin as we begin to pick up the pieces and ask ourselves what on earth happened. With that, we welcome in my buddy John Shipley. You read his terrific work at Jaguar Report, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. John, how we doing? Yeah, doing great. How are you doing? John, we're good. Let me ask you that question. What happened from 8-3 and three to to missing the playoffs, John, is nothing short of astonishing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the biggest collapse, uh, not just in, you know, maybe franchise history or absolutely recent franchise history, but recent NFL history for sure. I mean, you just – you don't start 8-3 and three in most cases and miss the playoffs. I mean, especially in – you know, uh, the, where the NFL currently is today, where outside of Baltimore, San Francisco, there's not many dominant, truly elite teams. And the Jaguars, against teams that went to the playoffs, they went 3-6. and six. You know, one of those wins came against the Bills, one came against the Texans in Week 12, and one came against the Steelers, who it's pretty clear is probably the weakest team who made the playoffs in general this year. You know, it, and that just kind of says it all. The Jaguars otherwise, you know, when they had big games, more often than not, they dropped them, and that's what really hurt them down the stretch. John, I know you were at the Miller Electric Center and you were at the Doug Peterson presser today. The players cleaned out their lockers. I mean, it's a surreal feeling, right? I mean, the season's over. What, what was the vibe like down there? Yeah, no, it absolutely, you know, it absolutely seems like kind of a shell-shocked, you know, franchise, I would say. And it seems like that they know that they really let a great opportunity slip away from them, one that they absolutely shouldn't have, you know, one that probably a team that – you know, maybe a more mature team or more experienced team doesn't do. And you can tell there's a lot of, uh, a lot of probably, you know, regret, that kind of stuff. And a lot of thinking that, you know, they're really mystified about how they were able to pull it off last year, but they weren't this year. And Doug said today, something they need to do better is not live in the past. And I think that kind of alluded to it. You know, people have been referencing the 2022 season all season, and maybe that was, you know, quietly an underlying problem. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. You get him on the website and, of course, the podcast. We'll tell you about that here in just a moment. All right, you mentioned 2022, and I'll do exactly what you told me not to do. I'm going to reference 2022 because they didn't do anything last offseason, John, nothing. You could argue their biggest free agent acquisition was Brandon McManus, who Denver cut in the month of May. I mean, they did nothing to improve this roster. Hindsight is 2020. But is it to Trent Balk? He's like, all right, we're nine and eight. We want a playoff game. Let's run it back. We're good. I mean, it was obviously that was a mistake. Looking back on it. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Self scouting was really, you know, one of the, I think, the big issues is, it seemed like they automatically expected, you know, development and, you know, improvements from core pieces. Not even just like second year players, but players who maybe it was a second year in their system. You know, guys that. They just had, you know, for a second season. And obviously, it didn't go that way. Now, injuries play a part, like, but they, they do with every team. You know, no NFL team 
can say they didn't deal with injuries. And the Jaguars had great injury luck last year. So you can't really point to that. And I absolutely do think that, you know, kind of resting on their laurels and maybe being overconfident, maybe even arrogant, I'd say, in the offseason of thinking that this is a roster that just needs minor tweaks. I mean, it when it came to free agency last year, they were doing things like re-signing C.J. Beathard, re-signing Jermichael Hasty, re-signing Andrew Wingard. And they told, you know, their messaging was that, those are the moves that we need to make right now that we really just need to improve death and special teams and everything else will come together. And it is obvious after a Sunday that they, you know, couldn't be more wrong. John, look, I'm never going to be confused for a general manager candidate in the NFL and far be it for me to say anybody should have job security issues. And by the way, I believe Trent Balky will be back and I believe he's done some good things here. But if a guy on the radio every night can tell you that they don't have a pass rush and you pay millions of dollars to a general manager who believes they do have a pass rush, and the guy on the radio was right, that's a problem, correct? I mean, that was a huge, huge fumble by the organization to not bring anybody in here to help Allen and Walker. And the thing is, I, I truly don't know if they would ever even admit that or concede that, simply because, you know, you you saw Allen and Walker, both their sack numbers went up. They had just ten and a half combined sacks in 2022 27 and a half combined 2023 but they went down in pressure rate this year and they're only they were one spot higher in sack percentage this year so even though you had career years out of both of those guys the issue with the pass rush went beyond them and you can't tell me they don't have a better chance in that game you know yesterday if they have, if they have a deep pass rush rotation or maybe in a game like the Cincinnati Bengals game or the Cleveland Browns game any any of these games that they dropped over the stretch you can't tell me that, you know, improved pass rush depth wouldn't have made a difference. I just – knowing that guys like Chase Young were had for a third, I just refuse to believe that, you know, a third-round pick is more important than, you know, potentially finding a player who could change the complexion of the defense and really change the season. It's going to be hard for me to defend Trent Balky because you and I stood out there at training camp together for over a month, 120 degrees, uh, just sweating like nobody's business – and we knew then, you and I knew in July, that they needed a pass rush. They needed help there. And for Trent Baalke to either not realize that or be arrogant enough or maybe think that it might look, make the Trayvon Walker pick look bad to bring somebody in, I don't know what the reasoning is, but you and I knew that, and the guy getting paid millions of dollars didn't know that. Know that. That's, that's damning to me, John. i got to be honest. Yeah, and it's really moves like that when I say their self-scouting was an issue, their overconfidence. I mean, you know, they spent the offseason saying they believed Caleb Montchason could step into that role. He had two sacks this year. You know, him, DeJuan Smoot, and Yasir Abdullah had three sacks combined in the season. Uh, Arden Key had six by himself. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, that the moves that they were banking on to really improve the team, I mean, I, I'm not sure how many they were right about. Like, ones that off the top of my head, they were right about letting Jawan Taylor walk. Uh, they were right that, you know, I, in my opinion, Calvin Ridley was an upgrade over Marvin Jones. Otherwise, I'm not sure how many moves they were actually right about this offseason, just from that process standpoint. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. All right, Trevor Lawrence. It's a big topic in the city. Your thoughts on Trevor moving forward, and do you have concerns about him? I personally don't have concerns, but, I mean, I know how to read a room. <laughs> I'm not going to – Go out today and proclaim Trevor Lawrence is one of the, you know, greatest quarterbacks to ever touch pigskin and Jacks fans to just be happy. Obviously, you know, he can be better. He can turn the ball over less. I I contend that if you go back and look at the context of all his turnovers this year, 
I really do think if you lay it out like that, people probably feel differently. But when you're just looking at the box score number, it can obviously be better. Uh, I, I, I think that he can be better. You know, I obviously projected him to have a better season uh, production-wise, efficiency-wise, everything like that. But I still think that, I mean, when you're talking about the problems facing the Jaguars, I'm not sure he even comes top 10. And when you talk about reasons to be optimistic moving forward, I don't see how anything else is, you know, anybody else is the number one choice. You know, to me, he he is the sole reason, I think, that they even got to nine and eight. I think if you put an average quarterback, say, in my opinion, you put Baker Mayfield on this roster, I think they win six games. Maybe. You know, I, 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 I think Trevor Lawrence makes a huge difference. But I also know that he turned the ball over a lot down the stretch. Uh, he was obviously injured a good bit. I think that definitely factors into things. So. You know, I'm I'm going to read the room a bit, not uh not really try to get too many back and forth, but I do believe that he is one of the NFL's you know top ten or so quarterbacks, and that you know the Jaguars have their guy moving forward. But I know that's not really what people want to hear right now, especially after half the season ended. You mentioned reading the room. You were in the room for the Doug Peterson press conference earlier today, and when he was asked about Trevor and things he needs to work on, he brought up the turnovers. And when he was asked about Press Taylor and his play calling, he brought up turnovers. Obviously, Doug Peterson, look, I'm not trying to put words in the guy's mouth. I'm going on what he said. Obviously, the turnovers in Doug's mind were a humongous deal this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I tweeted when I was leaving the parking lot that my general vibe from the presser is that Peter, at least Peterson thinks that if it wasn't for missed tackles and turnovers that they're still playing right now. So, it, it, it in my opinion, being at each Peterson you know, press conference at the Middle Electric Center and his home ones after home games, whatever, you know, during that bad stretch of turnovers, to me, it seemed like the messaging really was the players. And specifically, you know, the quarterback has to turn the ball over less. When it came to Press, press Taylor, you know, it, it was hard to think of something negative that he said. You know, it, it really was. So it definitely seems like he's putting a lot more of the onus on turnovers, specifically from the quarterback position, as opposed to scheme, play calling, anything like that. Andrew Wingard, again, John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Andrew Wingard yesterday in the locker room in Nashville said something to the tune of there was not a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. I'm just wondering if that was a, a talking point around the Miller Electric Center today. I mean, I, I, I think when it comes to assignment football, that's just simple things like gap integrity. I know people are probably, that's another, you know, Dougism. Maybe people are sick of hearing it, but it's really one of the big things, especially from the front seven yesterday, uh, tackling, you know, just doing your job, things like that. I, I, I think that moving forward, especially on the defensive side, I, I think that's the one big thing that, that I have to look at is the trenches and what happened. Because this is a defense that's built to stop the run. They did it very well over the first half of the season. You go back to week eight on the road in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh, you know, couldn't buy a first down on the ground. You go to yesterday, you know, even week 11, Derrick Henry couldn't get anything going. You go to yesterday when the Jaguars have their entire front seven at their disposal, and they were – just getting manhandled. They were playing out of their caps. I thought, you know, the inside linebackers had a rough game. I thought the defensive line had a rough game. It, I, I think that's something that they need to look at hard because they invested a lot in that defensive line, you know, a, a lot. And they they have three guys playing on significant contracts, and Robson Harris, Hamilton, and Fadakasi. Then you have, you know, Josh Allen's obviously either going to get tagged because of a big contract, and then you have the number one overall pick across from him. 
you have all of that, you need to be able to stop the run better than they were able to down the stretch. Final moments with John Shipley of Jaguar Report. Now, John, let me ask you this. Obviously, it's 24 hours, right? Just over 24 hours since the season ended. There's a lot to digest. There's a lot to look at. But And we'll have you on again before free agency. But what do you think, man? I mean, interior offensive line, obviously, you got the big question about Calvin Ridley. I agree with you. Josh Allen's probably going to get the franchise tag. I cannot imagine him being on another roster next year. What are the big questions the Jaguars have to answer here in the next uh, six weeks or so? Uh, that, they, they have some giant ones. I think Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley have to be first and foremost. I, I, I think Doug needs to figure out what direction with the staff. I'm of the opinion that when you collapse like this, something needs to be changed, even if it's as minor as position coaches and assistants, even if it's not coordinators. I'm, the, I'm of the opinion that when you collapse the way that did, some heads half the role, you know, I'm not advocating for it, but it, it's just obvious if, if you run it back with the ex- exact same cast, there's going to be a lot of, you know, us upset and confused people. And then other than that, I think obviously Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley, you know, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner. You can only use the franchise that once. You know, you can only figure out which one of them to tag. I really think that they made a big mistake in not signing Josh Allen to an extension during the season. I think if you sign him to an extension, you know, at any point during the season, you get a better price than you will in the future. And you can use that franchise tag on Calvin Ridley and probably ensure that you don't have to potentially give up a second-round pick. I think they really kind of fumbled that entire situation. And we'll see how it resolves itself. But I mean, that was another thing. Even Peterson didn't wasn't committal on either one of those guys when asked about them today. John, final question. I had you on a year ago after the loss to Kansas City, and I asked you at that point, when we reconvene for off-season workouts, how you're going to remember the 2022 football team. I think your answer is going to be drastically different this time around, but I'll ask you again. In 90 or so days, when the guys come back and off-season workouts begin in the middle of April, and you look back on the 2023 season, what are going to be your fondest memories, either good or bad? When it ended? I mean, I it just wasn't it, – it, it just wasn't a season. that Obviously, they started 6-2, and two, started 8-3. Everything was obviously, you know – really high energy stuff like that but i mean they didn't have a lot of really great moments at home specifically they lost a lot of big games at home both primetime games they lost against the chiefs they lost against the texans i mean you look at some of the teams that they beat at home you know okay you beat the titans you beat the colts you beat the panthers to me they didn't have a lot of great moments i think josh allen obviously breaking the sack record at home uh was massive i think trayvon walker hitting double digit sacks was big but I mean, the way I'll remember the 2023 season was obviously by the way they played down the stretch and the collapse that they had and failure, in my opinion, to self-scout and just kind of shows you the way I'll remember them is, in my opinion, that a lot of times you can go wrong in the NFL by not trying to take a step forward. And by being complacent, you're really going to go backwards. And that's really how I see them this past year. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, how can people find you? Tell us about the website. Tell us about the podcast as we move into the off season. Yeah, no, you can uh, find me at underscore John underscore Shipley or at Jaguar Report, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. We'll bring you guys you know, everything this off season, position reviews, rookie review, all that kind of stuff before we get into free agency, the combine, the draft, and stuff like that. And you can listen to me and my co-host Gus Loeb on the Jaguar Report podcast. Uh, we're still trying to 
you know, work through how we're going to, you know, schedule things during the off season, but we'll have something out tomorrow. John Shipley of Jaguar Report. John, you've joined us a bunch this year, brother. I certainly appreciate it, man. Always enjoy the conversation. Let's do it again after the Super Bowl, before free agency, and let's try to make a game plan on how these Jaguars can pick up the pieces on what was essentially a wasted 2023 campaign. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thank you, man. I mean, how did this happen? How did we get here? How were the Jaguars 8-3, and three, and for a few hours, the number one seed in the AFC playoffs just 43 days ago, and today lockers were cleaned out and the season's over. It is mind-boggling. And again, it's not like they lost to Joe Montana and Dan Marino and John Elway. The quarterbacks that beat them were Jake Browning, Joe Flacco, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, you could argue Lamar Jackson, the defense played its best game against Lamar Jackson. It, it's um, It'll take weeks to figure it out. We're here for you every night. We'll get through it together because it is, uh, it is astonishing that the Jaguar season is over and they will not reconvene until offseason workouts begin in the middle to end of April. Well, that'll just about do it. What has been a crazy busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Certainly a dark day for Jaguar fans in the city, but we appreciate you listening to us here on 1010XL. We had a great guest lineup again. Thank you to John Shipley of Jaguar Report, who was down at the Miller Electric Center earlier today to take in the locker clean out, Doug Peterson's final press conference of the year appreciate john shipley for joining us and as always it is monday night here on hacker after dark that means monday night coaching with campo as my friend dave campo stopped by and we certainly appreciate his insight here on the jacksonville jaguars we will be back tomorrow night on a tuesday are you kidding me ladies and gentlemen of jacksonville florida your season just ended it's the biggest late-season collapse in the history of the Jaguars. But I got good news. Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.